Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, this is the first episode back from my event that I had here um, in my home, our one-year anniversary show. That should be dropping uh, next week, so keep an eye out for that. And I just wanted to say that uh, uh, thank you for everybody that showed up. We had a lot of fun. The food was great, and um, the conversations we all had were great, and I hope to try to do it again soon. And hopefully I'd like to build off of uh, that event. And um, uh, once again, thank you for everybody that came. Um, also, uh, just wanted to kind of give an update on the um, progress of the show and what I'm trying to do with it uh, this coming year. Um, basically, I am going to be uh, trying to do my weekly episodes, but if not, they'll be uh, biweekly. I... Um, I picked up uh, a lot of uh, extra work and responsibilities that I got to take care of first uh, on the work side, um, building uh, some uh, uh, development that my wife and I uh, are going to be doing, um, apartment development and building new homes and stuff. So I I, I can't guarantee that I'm going to have weekly episodes, but for sure I'm going to have uh, 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 at least bi-weekly episodes. So I'm sure that uh, anybody that's a fan uh, we'll understand that. And then um, just want to make sure that uh, you guys email me at loslibertinos210 at gmail.com to send me information on any guests that you guys might want me to interview. I'm always open to interview anybody. And, uh, you know, I'm down for whatever, right? You know, uh, the show's called uh, uh, Chingasos and Fire for a reason. You know, I, uh, I'll get down with anybody and hopefully the, the idea is to create a, a some uh, 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 energy behind and some fire behind the conversation that can be beneficial to all of us. So uh, thank you for uh, uh, being on the journey for one year. And this is for uh, hopefully good luck. Uh, send it uh, our way here and uh, at Los Libertinos. And uh, this is uh, us going, getting into year two. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, it was uh, an interesting one with uh, James Pogue. Um, a lot of fun. And uh Catch you uh, this year coming up. Peace. Welcome, everyone, to Los Libertinos Podcast. I am your host, Carlos Abelard, and this is Chingasos and Fire, episode number 43. Our guest today is James Pogue. He is the author of a new piece in Vanity Fair. It's called Inside the New Right, where Peter Thiel is placing his biggest bets. He's a contributor to Harper's, but has also written for the American Conservative and other publications. He's written a book called a Chosen Country, A Rebellion in the West, which was the, the, the Bundy federal property dispute. Uh, you guys might remember that. And he's also been a guest on my favorite uh, live political show, uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. Um, so uh, welcome, uh, James, and thank you for coming on Los Libertinos. 
How you doing? Um, so yeah, on the show here, we tried to do uh, uh, right off the bat because uh, uh, I've been doing the show for a year, but I just had my one year anniversary show here at my house. Where we had a cool little fest and all the people that came that were family and friends. Uh, I always have them in mind because they're, they're the ones that support and watch on that side. And then I also have like my, of course, like the libertarian side that watches and all this stuff too. Um, so I play to those two sides. So uh, many of them would not know uh, a lot of your background. So if you don't mind, uh, can you kind of give a back uh, background on um, born, raised, um, kind of your upbringing and uh, go ahead and feel free to give like the long version uh, uh, off air. We were talking a little bit about how uh, you have some roots in Texas, like uh, from further back, but um, and then how you your your life kind of went to a point where you're you're a journalist writing for uh, Vanity Fair. Um, so yeah, man, go ahead and uh, uh, take well, it away. Actually, yeah, okay. So it kind of the long version kind of actually involves San Antonio pretty heavily. I don't. It, I'm, I'm Let's do it, man. Go ahead, man. Yeah, all right. So I grew up in Cincinnati, um, and it you know to the recent extent, a lot of my work. Uh, hopefully I'm publishing a book essay soon, um, assuming I don't get canceled off of some of these podcasts. Uh, and I uh, basically, I do a lot of work about Cincinnati. That's kind of how I came into contact with J.D. Vance, which is how a lot of people maybe on the right would know my work. Because I've sort of, I didn't want to do this, both of us being from Cincinnati, but Vance and I come from similar cultural backgrounds. My dad was really involved in Appalachian politics. Uh, we were always going down to like Harlan County, uh, some of your listeners may know some of these places like uh, southwestern Virginia that was kind of like our cultural formation um my dad my parents are in a bluegrass band like shit like that right and so like that world was very much like my formative thing and I was always like we were very very left-wing like my parents were you know like card literally card-carrying Marxists um from, okay you know, era radicals I grew up going to communist camps uh stuff like that so I had this kind of dual thing where I was like very camps like like kid camps like the yeah, camps yeah, yeah. like 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 retreats like we would go we go up to a place um go up to a place in new hampshire where literally like the rosenberg kids the the children of julius neff rosenberg like people who were like real in the kind of hardcore marxist left of the mid-century american um kind of especially northeast we were a little outside of that um but we would go there uh and so like the left is like my religion like in the way that like some people grew up in the catholic church like i grew up in the left um and uh you know obviously we can talk about whether I'm still in it or whatever which I tend to think I am but that's a different story anyway so I had this kind of like kind of like dual thing right so like I drive a lifted truck um I just got back the reason I missed your text earlier was I was shooting um and you know I own guns um I bought I bought a gun actually I wrote about this in Harper's I bought a gun illegally a handgun illegally in the inner city in Cincinnati when I was like 16, 15. Um, and like have owned them ever since, you know, which is kind of weird for my peer group and stuff like that. Um, but long story short, I went to Montreal for college uh, and I got really interested in kind of Quebecois nationalism um, and which is like historically, maybe it's kind of changed now, but historically, nationalism in Quebec, A, is a left-wing thing, and B, is it kind of not, it's not a blood and soil thing. Um, it's, it, you know, so there's this sort of groups of nationalisms, like Catalan nationalism, Scottish nationalism, Irish nationalism, which I identify with a lot, um, that are like sort of coming from the left, 
and are like maybe you might say anti-globalist but are also like ecumenical right so like you have i don't know what that word means man sorry man <laughs> well, like uh they're not exclusive right so like okay so like in scotland so let me put it this way in scotland like which is the kind of classic example of this they had an independence referendum in 2015 and there's a stat where actually the independence referendum one among Pakistani immigrants in Glasgow, which okay. wouldn't happen. But you had immigrants to Scotland who were voting for Scottish nationalism, right? And Quebecois nationalism was kind of like that back in the day. So that became an interest of mine just because it, to me, it seemed like a way of saying, hey, this onrushing hyper-capitalist global order that everybody's living under, that people on the left at the time were protesting against, um, you could sort of, there's a concept of nations against kind of, there's a book out there called Nations Against the State that kind of talks about this, where you use actually nationalism in this kind of ecumenical, friendly kind of face of it, and you kind of resist that force. And that I was very taken with that. Um, and so I was always sort of interested in American, you could call it patriotism, American folkways, American uniqueness of some kind, um, as a thing that actually was a way to resist capitalism and a way to like identify as something other than like a dollar value in your soul and your being and your conception of yourself as a people, right? Um, which kind of put me always on a little bit on the outside of like media culture, because that stuff sounds like it's not, but it sounds kind of fascist if you say it in the wrong way. Um, and long story short, uh, I actually dropped out of McGill in Montreal and I went train hopping. Um, and, and that was an experiment to see like, if you could live entirely outside of the structures of like credit report, job, cell phone, all this stuff. And so like I lived for like a, almost a year on $500 um, that I carried around in the bottom of my shoe. Uh, and I rode from Cincinnati um, alone down to Georgia. I was there in Georgia for a while. And then across um, on the Sunset Route, uh, which goes through San Antonio. Um, and I ended up weirdly like... There were like a bunch of, it was, that was one of the wildest times of my life. I ended up, cause I don't like, I don't really like train hoppers. Like they're fine. They're, some of them are really cool, but they're really, really violent nowadays, especially the kids. They're really violent and drink a lot. And so I usually like stay away from them cause it's dangerous. And I was like 19, 20 at the time alone. And there was like nine or 10 train hoppers that I met just like literally outside of the Alamo, like exactly where you would think they would be. And we'd kind of like went around the river walk and I think they were trying to like rob people and shit. And I was like, okay, I, I got to get out of here. And then they wanted to go see a Norwegian metal band. And I don't know how they planned this out. This was, nobody had cell phones at the time. You didn't have a smartphone. I didn't even have an iPod. I had a watch and I made collect calls, uh, which was kind of by choice. I could have had a phone, but like none of these people had iPhones, but somehow they put together how to get to this show. They gone on a bus. Like now there's like 13, 14 of us they're all named like trench and jay bird and shit and I st i've still seen some of those kids trench is like addicted to heroin i saw him in the east village in new york like passed out um mm. jay bird died but anyway so we went up to this metal show they didn't have any or they had money but they spent all of their money on beer and so instead of getting into the show they decided that they were going to try to crash in the back with their beer which they were refused to uh, so they just sat around in the parking lot, drinking beer, getting so drunk. And they had each person had a case of beer. And then there was each person had a like a 
six pack of dank beer, but then they passed each dank beer around. So nobody had one dank beer. And all of these just like really gross people were just drinking beer, like off each other's lips. Like, and it just got grosser and grosser. (laughs) And then the band came out and they attacked them. They were like, fuck you for not letting us in. You guys fucking suck. And they started attacking the bus. And I was like, this sucks. Let's get out of here. And their solution to the cops coming to, to prevent them from attacking the band was to break into the abandoned house behind the, th- the behind the show. And so then they're in the house, the cops show up. Somehow they all get away. I was just like over here. And they ended up in a, like a squat. I have no idea where in San Antonio we were. Uh, like, I feel like uh, you guys were either like at the White Rabbit or some sh- like if you say in a house, I feel like there's a place on the sun. There's like a strip here called St. Mary's Strip where there's like houses around a bunch of bars on a strip. And so I'm just imagining the house. Yeah, I mean, and- it honestly, I honestly have no idea. I know. I know. What's the I bank walked- called? What's the bank called? Do you remember what it was called or no? I, I actually don't. I oh, know shit. that I walked south. So basically what happens, they fled. I have no idea how these people got away. I honestly, I do not remember, but we, we fled to like a really comfortable looking subdivision. Like it looked like it was like a place where upper middle-class people live, but they knew that there was a squat in there. Like there was like, like crackheads or some kind of home bevels were in there. Actually they were crackheads because we found crack pipes. Cause as soon as we went in there, they all started smoking the crack and they started, it was so sad. Like the crackheads had stuffed animals that they, I guess, like slept with. and they fucking tore open the stuffed animals thinking there were drugs in there and i've I've never gotten over that i always felt bad for the crackheads who lost their stuffed animals um damn puro san antonio dude damn (laughs) so then i i stayed with them for like three days because i was like curious and then i was like i gotta fucking get away from you people like i'm gonna get killed like i seriously thought i was gonna get killed like they were fucking they would just fight like for fun um and they're tough they just don't when you're train hopping, like you don't feel pain the way normal, you just learn like pain is your life. Like you're always uncomfortable. Like mm. it just doesn't like happen. It's like, it's like I do jujitsu now and it's kind of the same thing. Like you just, you're conditioned to a certain level of pain. So you don't like feel other stuff, but then if you step outside it and you see what they're doing to each other, you're like, what is going on? Um, that's cool. a long story. That I've just cool story, it. man. That's a cool like, story right there, right? I hitched up to Austin from there. I stayed in. I ran, literally ran into somebody just like on the street. They were cool, like UT kids or whatever, like UT dropout kids. They were going to go back. They're, it was this was back when Austin was cool. They let me stay in their house for two months. I got this tattoo for free from one of the brothers. Um, and I went back to San Antonio, and then accidentally rode freight trains into Laredo, which the yard in Laredo is in Nuevo Laredo. So you have to bail off or else you get, you're like, it's really not good. It's really, really not good if you go across that border. Um, so I had to bail off at like 35 miles an hour um, and like really fucked up my shoulder. It's still fucked up. Uh, that was my first experience in Texas, long story short. Um, and it felt very Texas. Uh, and then I, um, I moved to Africa uh, after that. Um, I was kind of the train hopping thing. It's hardcore when you're alone that much. I couldn't do that. Uh, and I got a job doing logistics for like a, um, how to put it, like a geophysics company, like looking for oil and gold and iron and stuff in broad senses. You're not doing the drilling, you're doing the mapping. Uh, so I did logistics for them, lived in a desert, uh, like 24 hours from the nearest paved road. Um, and then I went back, finished school, did a magazine internship and got roped up in this stuff. Uh, but 
because of that background, like I've always kind of like, like I'm living in a trailer park right now up here. Like I kind of, how to put it? I've always kind of tried to toggle between like the elite liberal media and like something approximating more real life. Uh, and I think that that's like kind of helped me keep my feet on the ground with some of this stuff and like not, I try to not start with the presupposition that anybody I'm writing about is evil, which increasingly is maybe not what people do anymore. Um, and so I lived in Arkansas, Louisiana, each time, like I would go back to New York or LA, but Arkansas, Louisiana, rural New Mexico, um, and now up here, Siskiyou County, California. So like right California, Oregon border. Um, and I mean, I don't know, is that enough story? Yeah, man. No, hell yeah. That's a lot of, that's Chingles a story, man. But um, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, you know, people now know what's up, you know, um, definitely, uh, you know, connected to the streets, uh, if you want to put it that way, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, maybe less than I used to be, but yeah. Um, so yeah, man. So uh, the reason I had reached out to you was because, um, um, you know, I just figured, you know, why not? You know, it's it's funny, a lot of my, uh, um, my, I've had multiple times where there's articles. So I'm not a really big reader. I, I just can't sit down and read articles or read books. Uh, I, I always say like, you know, I've only read two books in my life and that's all I really needed to read to just kind of get the, the, the gist of the game. And it was a uh, rich dad, poor dad. And then in the fed, you know, after I read those two books, I kind of knew what's up. And, and, um, but um, I came across your article because I'm a, uh, I'm a, uh, I pay for like the Curtis Yarvin Substack, yeah. uh, with with the intention that one day I hope I can uh, uh, get an interview with him and um, and he had sent out on his uh, Substack like the the article link uh, uh, for the for for the yeah. for the for your piece. Yeah, and- I was mad at him. I was mad at him. I was he he was, he said people tell me it's pretty good considering. I was like, man, come on. Um, you guys are homies, right? You guys are you guys are homies. You guys are okay, right? You guys are. I don't want right? to talk about. I don't want to talk about Curtis's life really because like he's inscrutable and. Oh no! Well, I'm just saying like you're cool with him. Anything you say about Curtis's private life becomes fodder for everybody. You know what I mean? And like I've already experienced that in the Vanity Fair piece, and so I'm trying not. To- oh no, no. What I'm well, I didn't. I'm just saying you're cool with them. Is what I'm saying, right? You're, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, so, uh, um, you know, I respect his stuff enough where I clicked on the link and I started reading it. And it's funny that you were kind of talking about the the dual part of it because really what um captured me and and, and kept me engaged in an, in an article that was long because I you know I was starting to read it read it I was like oh man this is you know and, and and it turned into like you know I sat down for like an hour and a half you know I'm not a really fast read you know I got to take it kind of easy but what 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 kind of kept me in the mix was I did not know you but in the context of okay it was Vanity Fair. Uh, you know, it's not a right-leaning publication. And then you being the writer, I didn't look you up before. I just started reading it. You know, I didn't even really even look to who was who wrote it. I just started reading it. But, uh, uh, you know, it didn't take too long before I started kind of, as I'm reading it, I was visualizing you, this character. Uh, you know, I didn't know, you know, it was just these characters. It was basically, I was watching, a bo- you know, I'm a boxing fan. I always incorporate boxing and uh, football uh, uh, into, into my podcast. And it was like, as I was reading it, I was watching a fight between the writer, you, and, and, and kind of fighting these, uh, the, both of these sides that it was, you know, that's what kept me engaged, right? I was like, 
oh man, this guy could definitely throw some chingazos and make these people uh, paint, paint them a certain way. And, and you threw some shots because you're playing to the crowd. You know, you got to play a little bit to the crowd, but you could also see the other side of it, like where you were like, so that's what kept me engaged. So, you know, to me, uh, the, the show's called Chingazos and Fire. It just felt like a fight, you know, like a fight, like a, like, like a fight. So uh, I don't know uh, if I'm right and in, in, in seeing it that way, but really, you know, I mean, I read the article, it was, you know, but it was really the, what kept me engaged was the fight that I felt that you were having in writing it or something like that. So I don't know, man, I guess the question is kind of like, um, I don't know, can, is, is, am I right to think that way? What was your way that you approach the, the, the writing, you know, uh, um, was that going on or, you know, uh, so the question is kind of open to like, uh, uh yeah. that way. Well, you know, I mean, all right, I'll give you two reactions. So like reaction one, you know, that like when you had tweeted that I was going to come talk to you, like there was somebody who was like, these dudes are not your friend. These dudes are, these dudes are bad people. These dudes who work for liberal media, don't trust them. You don't want them around. Um, and then let's say just like on the other side, on the kind of liberal side, like a lot of people, like I got a tweet, somebody had, I have a big story in the last Harper's too. That's about like this County and like militias and stuff up here. And I guess it wasn't like anti, I don't know. It wasn't like anti the right enough for some of these people. And they were like, I want to know why James Pogue is still getting published by these liberal institutions. And so, you know, I was taking heat from every side. And the thing that is also true though, is that I got a lot of praise from each side and what happened. I don't want to name any names, but like a lot of big figures in media, like reached out to me privately and were like, how did you figure out how to thread that needle? Uh, how did you figure out how to write about these people without calling them evil? And these are liberal people. These are not, this is not like conservatives being like, thanks, you did us a solid. These are guys who were working at the times, at the, at, the, at the higher level institutions of the quote unquote liberal media. And they're saying like, damn, this is how we should be doing it. How did you pull that off? And the truth is, um, I don't have a great answer. Like I kind of got lucky. I kind of thought this piece was going to get killed. Um, again, not because I'm like out here carrying Curtis's water. Like I don't, I'm, I'm too proud. I'm like, I'm a very proud person. Like I don't want to carry Curtis's water and JD's water. Even if I was like on their side politically, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, just out of a pride thing. Uh, but if you let people talk for themselves, you, it's hard to pin you down. Um, and like right now at this moment of whatever we're in, total insanity um like I don't really know like I don't consider myself personally like a political actor at this moment because I don't really I don't even pretend to have an idea of how we get out of this fucking mess that we're in um and so what I do is I let people talk and I try to like just flatly portray them and what's interesting is that people on the left will look at JD and be like this is the doom of the Republic. This guy is about to be Mussolini. We have to stop him at all costs. And people on the right will look at him and be like, ah, maybe he's going to save us. Um, and you can just let people make those choices. And that's kind of where I'm at. Just like, that's kind of where I'm at in part, just because I don't know what my personal solution to this crisis is. Like, I don't really think like class politics are enough like the, the kind of old answers of the left that used to give, like, but I'm not really sure what has solidified in my brain as a, as a kind of replacement for that. Um, and so this is just a long way of saying that, 
Yeah, you could look at it as a fight. I actually, the thing though that I think worked and worked for my editors and worked for readers was that I was just actually curious about this stuff. I hadn't really like, I didn't know Curtis. Um, I hadn't really read a lot of his stuff. Um, I was genuinely curious about JD. Like when I met JD uh, for the first time, he started using the word regime. I had never heard that. Like literally, I mean, maybe that makes me stupid and out of touch, but I had never heard about the regime. And so I was like, genuinely like, what do you mean? And then he gives me an answer. And I was like, what is going on? You guys are coming from this place. I've never even really, I hadn't heard the term cathedral. This was all new to me. Um, and so you can see in the piece, like me learning for myself. And I think that works. First me. piece you did with J- JD or you talk the, the, the one you just, the vanity fair, because it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a continue, not a continue. It's, yeah. it's, it, there's a, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I would think of them as sort of a package deal. Like the yeah. first like the first one is like i don't know what's up you can see me be like wait something is up here but i don't understand it and the second one is like okay i understand it now like now let's think about this um and yeah i mean they're better i would argue the american conservative piece is actually a better piece of writing like uh it why is why would why, why is that i mean uh i mean i don't know i mean I, i'm really asking on because like i'm also interested too like how the the like the genesis story the genesis story of how this becomes a story like how did how it becomes an assignment or you pitch it or or somebody pitches it like you know I, i'm also interested in all of that because i don't i've never talked to anybody that is written uh at a you know this is new for okay, me too so, so yeah, i'm into you know i mean all right everybody step into the cathedral this is how the cathedral works okay perfect nice and, yeah and it's not it's not what you think um I mean, and Curtis understands some of this stuff and it's different, different places, but like, okay, I, um, my editor, I'm not going to say where, but my editor at Vanity Fair is the daughter of a pretty significant figure in Southern literature, like, which is a very sort of like genteel interconnected kind of, um, I don't know if genteel is right, but like everybody kind of, there's a few MFA programs everybody kind of goes to. And like, you're like at Ole Miss, you're at Arkansas and people, everybody kind of knows each other. It's like, a, I once described it in a piece as like a thousand mile wide Brooklyn. Um, it's kind of the South, it, the reading culture there is like that. So, so her dad is involved with that um, in various ways. Um, and I had lived in Arkansas, Louisiana. So maybe like on their radar, cause I had been an intern at Harper's, but I was like the resident young redneck in Brooklyn, literary media stuff right and so you have all these 25 year olds 26 year olds 27 year olds who've gone to various programs whatever and they arrive in new york and they're all kind of mingling together and most of them like don't really necessarily go on to do that much but a lot of them do and they kind of that little ferment those people go up they filter up into the new yorker into the paris review into the bubble blah, 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 all these places right so all those names of just like kids who are shitheads drinking at 25 go on to staff the elite positions. Um, and if you're not a part of that, it is hard. It's really, really hard to break into. It's hard to break into even if you are a part of it, honestly. Um, a lot of people are rich. They have gone to Harvard, all that stuff. Um, so I didn't have that, but I knew people, right? So I wasn't coming from nothing. I wasn't just like a outsider, right? Um, long story short, I wrote- But, you, brought, but you also brought up the, the redneck part. So- you play, you lean into that with them. Like, it's like, it, was it a, was it like a thing? Cause like, you know, it's, you know, when I talk to, you know, you know, you or people, you know, I do the, you know, uh, uh, I'm the West Sider from San Antonio thing. You know, you kind of lean in a little bit to that too. 
almost, you know, I don't know if you did it this way, but I do it this way just to be kind of a, uh, a little underdog uh, right from the beginning, because when you're an underdog, you know, you get to throw a little bit more wild chingasos, uh, uh, and if they hit, they hit, and if they don't, they don't. But hey, you know what? You were the underdog; it don't matter too much, you know. Yeah. Okay. So that definitely, I definitely did that, and then I kind of got curved. So I definitely did that, and then I wrote a memoir about train hopping that it basically like fucking it like threw my life off the rails because it was good, and I sent it to a magazine. I'm not going to name, but like that had helped to shepherd me into kind of this stuff, and that kind of taken advantage of like. They were into the like redneck thing and a kind of new, you could call it proto woke um, regime had taken over at that magazine. And so this was like my thing. This was like my, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a big writer. This is going to come out. This be, And I, my mentor was like overseeing that he was going to edit it. And basically they were like, this is a bunch of dude, you know, this is too like masculinist, like, and to, this is toxic masculinity or whatever that this memoir that I'd written and they didn't publish it. And like my weirdly, like it just got so somehow like the communication got so screwed up that like my mentor stopped talking to me. And I was just like, I was like, I thought I flamed out. Like I thought it totally, like you just could not be me in New York media anymore. Uh, and I ended up like going to California. I didn't really publish a lot for a while. It really kind of like threw me off. Um, and in certain ways that has changed in certain ways, it's kind of come back where you can do this stuff again. And like, where it's cool. I mean, I described this in the vanity fair piece. It's like cool again for like people to, I don't know what you want to say, be tough. I don't know what the word is, but you can, you can kind of do that again in New York, but there was a period where that was like, looked very down on. Um, and so anyway, so um, I'm, I'm describing this, this world because like, I wrote a piece for a magazine called M plus one about Cincinnati uh, that no one would have read except within that world. Um, and Radhika Jones, who was then at Time Magazine and is now the editor of Vanity Fair, she flagged it. It was like a 10,000 word piece about just like about Cincinnati. There was no hook to it. There's no news to it. It was like a memoir about growing up there. Um, and she called it one of the best pieces of that year. I was like only 24. She was a big wig. And so I was like, wow, that's like a really, really, really cool thing. Um, that was like a big deal for me. Then I published another piece that was basically in the Baffler. People should read this actually. Uh, it's like an attack on the magazine industry, but it also describes the magazine industry. Uh, so I published that, that went pretty viral and like basically everybody in publishing in Hollywood read it. Nobody else read it. Why would they? Um, but ironically it was such a like vicious attack on the magazine industry that a lot of magazine editors wrote to me and were like let's do better let's do other stuff and one of those people was Radhika Jones's new deputy um and so like they had long story short they kind of had their eye on me for a while and they wanted me to write about Vance because they knew I was from Cincinnati and I didn't really want to do it because again I don't I don't want to be like Vance's I don't want to be Vance's little storyteller. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he's got his thing going like that. Good for him. But I was from Cincinnati. I'm a little younger than him, but close in age. And I just didn't want to be like the guy who talks about the other famous guy from Cincinnati or the famous guy. I'm not famous. The famous guy from Cincinnati. I didn't want to do that. Um, so we went back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And then I went to Cincinnati for the American conservative because like Vance had started running for Senate 
And I had still been talking to Vanity Fair and like nobody had quite pulled the trigger. Nobody quite like figured out what we we're going to do. So I did the American conservative piece. Um, I met him and I thought I was, I thought my career was over because they put it on the cover. And I just thought like my name on the cover of the American conservative, I'm never going to write again. Like I was furious. I couldn't believe it. I was like, if you're going to put it on the cover, at least give me some warning that I'm about to get canceled. And the actual truth is it didn't matter. Like, cause it was like, it was a fair, honest piece that like, I don't know, you can read it. It's like, what are you going to do? And so it actually worked out really well for me. Um, and I wrote that from the perspective of somebody who had grown up in the left and it wasn't like, Oh, I'm right wing now. Um, it was just, it happened to come out in the American conservative. And that's that's something that like I've talked I've, on podcasts a lot like people have talked to me about that and they've been like well how did you keep getting to work in mainstream media if you had written for them because the the theory behind the cathedral in, in the sense you should have that's where the jaws should have slammed shut right and it the actual truth is that didn't happen um so I had a Harper's assignment that didn't I mean I was chatting about my I've now published too long American conservative and no one is bothered by it um my point changed that after that came out Vanity Fair was like hey uh you want to basically do that piece again for us and I was like no um because again I didn't want to be like two profiles of advance was going to be way too much for me so I said no but I'll blow it out I'll do like a bigger ecosystem and because I was genuinely curious like I was genuinely like wait how influential is Curtis like, who is this Blake Masters guy? Like, I was just like, who, like how, and like, you know what? I was so naive. I didn't even really think to get in touch with Curtis before I'd already bought tickets to go to NatCon. And a friend of mine was like, do you want his number? And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Idiot. Um, and that friend sent him my American conservative piece and Curtis liked it. So that's why he talked to me. Um, Cause otherwise I, I, you know, I write for Harper's. Um, there had been a cover story about Curtis and Atcon in Harper's in 2019 uh, that was very, very negative. Um, it was smart. It was smart. It was a good piece, uh, but it was very negative. And it like, it made fun of Curtis, like in a way that, like it called him like the dark knight or the dark lord or something. Um, and I just told him, I was like, I'm going to do that different. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I may not be favorable towards you, but I'm going to be even you know um and that seemed to have worked out uh and then again like with the writing of the piece like there were a lot of conversations about like do we need to editorialize more and hey what's up everyone don't forget to support our sponsor paloma verde cbd paloma verde cbd.com is where you can get all of your cbd products also do not forget that it is a family business that my wife, Vanessa, and I run. She is the Paloma Verde. Uh, it is a, a business that we uh, put in a lot of uh, effort into. And uh, be sure to visit palomaverdecbd.com. Use the promo code CHINGASOS, C-H-I-N-G-A-S-O-S, for 20% off your order. Once again, visit palomaverdecbd.com and use the promo code CHINGASOS. And uh, get yourself from uh, some excellent CBD products. Peace. If you want to see how it really works, like 
if you really want to understand it for better, for worse, it's not a conspiracy. It's not a, like, it's not what everybody thinks in certain ways, but like, there's a really long New Yorker piece by a guy named Luke Mobelson, uh, who came similar. He's like similar to me. I mean, he's more of a badass than I am by a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Like he was an army medic. He's one of the greatest war reporters in the world. And then he started covering the American right. Um, and Luke, well, I don't want to say anything about his policies. I don't even know anything about his politics. I don't even know him really personally. We worked in the same office for like a little bit. Um, but he's somebody I respect a lot. Now, Luke was there during January 6th. So it's the most amazing reporting you'll ever see. I don't care what your politics are. You just take his writing, his seeing stuff. He was in the Senate chamber when horny hat man guy was in there, all that stuff. He was right the fuck there, right? Now, you can basically go through with a highlighter and see every little bit there's going to be editorializing where they're going to have an expert from somewhere. They're going to have some external commentary that breaks the flow of Luke's writing that says, this is what this all means, right? And that's kind of, that's where the, the stuff that really puts conservatives off about liberal media now happens. It comes from these guys who are like at Harvard, Duke, whatever. And you get these guys who are like, well, technically, if you look according to what happened in 1939, this is exactly the same as fascism. And like, to me, to me personally, and I say this on liberal things too, I'm not, I'm not like pandering to you or your crap, right? To me, that's not my job. There's a guy out there whose job it is to sit at Harvard and say, this is fascism, this is not fascism. My job is to go see stuff and put it down. And so like, I'm talking about a piece I really liked, but if you want to see how it works, go through and like pick for your own brain in all of these pieces. Like there's a normal, cool reporter a lot of the time who's doing normal, cool stuff. And then there's a gloss of need that they do for Twitter, for the broader ecosystem where they're putting that stuff in and you see those graphs. If you're a journalist, you see those graphs all the time. You're like, Oh damn, the editor made him do that. Oh damn. The editor made him do that. And I'm not saying at by any means that if you read Luke's piece without all that bullshit, if you pulled all that bullshit back to be dead honest, I think you would come away with an impression of the people who were there that day. That is worse because I think you're working so hard to make them look evil and like apply this academic kind of elite gloss to like, we have a system to decide that these guys are bad. The shit that's really bad in that piece to me is Luke was just with a group of proud boys who were roaming around looking for black people to fight. And you're like, bam, that is damning. That is damning. You were right there. You saw it. That is, that's, that it made me feel queasy the way they were talking, the stuff he had on the recording. So why do you have to then go bring in this other stuff that doesn't even sound like Luke? Like, well, it doesn't even sound like him. And then you're like, wait, why, what, what am I reading? Is this propaganda? Is this like, did somebody, like, does somebody have a job here to do that? Like nobody told me about? Cause I thought I was just reading a piece about an event. Um, mm. And the reason that, so like the reason that like, so Jeff Bezos tweeted the thing, um, Tucker Carlson texted me personally after the piece came out. But also Chris Hayes. Also, so I'm not, again, I'm not playing to the crowd here. Like Chris Hayes brought me on his show and said it was a great piece. So it's coming from each side. Cause I just, I did everything the same as Luke did in that piece. His absolutely magisterial, great piece of reporting, except I didn't put the editorializing. I just let people like look at it and just make their own call. Right. And that is kind of like the, the thesis 
do you have to fight your editors? Like, do they want to do the like you like you said like the bush like the or, or is there a battle? Is there a battle there? Or or are they cool? Like like they didn't they they respected your your realm or they they respect you know you know they did they did and I don't I got to be honest people. Look, like think about the music business, right? Think about any business that you're in, Hollywood, whatever. You have a greatest, you have a hit, and then you kind of replay the hit, right? So the hit right now, the meme, it's a, it's a, or you know, you want to go into real like conservative theory here, like like Rene Girard, like the the force in mimetics, like the the mimetic force at work in liberal media right now is we get tons of traffic by fighting this fucking war. We get tons of traffic by calling these people evil, right? And mm. like that's just it's working out for us it's working out for us really well and like the stuff um i know i keep plumping my own stuff but i'm going to say this one too i wrote a piece about the business of of extremism watching uh for unheard because like to some degree i that's my business um i you know i wrote a book about militias i was embedded with militias all over the world um but like think about it your job your job when you go cover militias, you're like, this shit is step one to civil war. This shit is about to pop off. These people are evil because that's what gets people to click. Right. And I take a lot of heat because I just don't do that. So like, you know, I wrote a book and it's like kind of weirdly like a cult thing now. Like um, I think it's more popular now than it, when it came out, um, the publisher didn't even do a fucking paperback. The times didn't review it. Um, which is ironic because the guy who did the roundup of reviews about that event said that mine was the favorite of his, but it just, it was hard to localize because I didn't go there and say Ammon Bundy is evil. Right. And I didn't bring in the experts with the fascism and this stuff. I didn't do that. You can look at it. You can look at, if your job is to sit at Yale and decide that something's fascism, you can take my work and use that as evidence that something is fascism, if that's what you want to do. But my job is I've got to figure, and this used pre, pre-media lockdown, before all this shit was so propagandistic. This is just what reporters did. But my theory is, if your whole agenda is, this is fascism and we have to warn the world, then you want me to be able to talk to guys on the right and show it so that you can do your work. Because a lot of these people don't even fucking understand what they're looking at. They don't, they don't live where I live, for example. The militia runs this county. I... Like I get my hair cut, the, literally the head of the militia is his proxies are in charge of the government here. And he has the barbershop. And when my hair doesn't look like this, I go to his barbershop and get my hair cut. You're in and amongst the extremists here. Like it's just part of life. And you go to the rodeo, the militia's at the rodeo, like the like big dogs, like they're, they're in charge. Um, okay. Like, I don't know. I mean, they're not killing me i mean i'm a reporter i've written about them they haven't killed me uh they're pro- there's a lot of bad stuff that's associated with that that we can talk about um but it's also like they're three-dimensional people who live and move and go through the grocery store and stuff and you kind of i think you kind of need that as a society you need to show those people as three-dimensional moving figures not as these caricatures and these flat objects to just throw whatever you want at because they're because nobody is like even we're not even talking across these divides right so that's a long way of saying that if you want to call it the cathedral if you want to call it just the liberal media if you want to call it from the left as Chomsky did kind of manufacturing consent like 
it's still humans operating in a system. And the system is probably not as powerful as people think. Like people are still like, like it's shocking. Like my piece, my Vanity Fair piece was almost 10,000 words. You read it. Like people will tell you people won't read 10,000 words. People will tell you that you can't report fairly across political lines in America. You can't. You can if you just try. Like you can actually kind of do stuff because people are like more reasonable and they're better readers and they're more supple thinkers than like social media would give you to think when you actually engage with them on a human level. Um, and so like my thing about people on the right, a lot of times is like, if you don't, if you don't give the benefit of the doubt, the idea that some of these people are actually more rational than or more like not even rational, like more empathetic and decent and reasonable than a lot of people on the right give reporters credit for, you're not going to make any headway like that. And you're not really understanding the system because actually what's happening is less that there's a bunch of guys who are sitting around in a room being like, we got to demonize that guy. We got to demonize that guy. It's more like a, a, a meme that has lodged in the brain that this is how this stuff works. This is the best way to do it. This is what get, what'll get people to click on it. And like my experience and granted, like I don't make a shit ton of money, like until this piece came out and this went mega, mega viral, like I'm 35, like I'm doing okay, but like, I'm not like cleaning up. Right. Like I, I'm, there's things that I'm not doing because I don't do that. Like there's things, there's magazines I'm not writing for. Cause I don't like to do that. Cause I like to do my own thing. Uh, but the weird thing is that with this piece, it almost like showed that you can do it. You can get away with it and you can be fair. You can be fair. I'm not, I wasn't, some of the stuff that JD says is like really scary in that piece and caused him political heat. And like, I didn't like hide that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no, no. I, Cause I, even like at the end of the piece, uh, when you kind of put like, uh, you painted this picture of, uh, you know, uh, everybody's leaving, everybody's a little hungover a little bit. Uh, and everybody's like, Hey, see you later about those. But right at right, right at the end, you kind of were like, now everybody back to their battle stations. So when I read that at the end, I knew I was like, I knew there was something about chingasos and battles and fights. It, 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 it was layered in there, you know, and uh, that's kind of what you're speaking to. Of like you're kind of also saying that you can play the fair game or the fair fight or you can go if you want to. I mean, if anything, it just makes you more, uh, what is it, uh, versatile to do different things. It seems like if you wanted to. Uh, buy some new furniture. You can do that if you wanted to, if you wanted yeah. to, you know, so, uh, you know, uh, that's kind of a, a unique feature in, in, in your writing. If, if, if you can do that, maybe there's people that just play to the crowd all the time. And, you know, there's, there's different ways of, uh, of doing it. And earlier when you had brought up the, 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 uh, the music uh, uh, industry and uh, that ga- gave me a little bit of a, uh, uh, a little bit of a, you know, there's a part in the article where I thought that you did play to the crowd where you, you know, you know the fighting was where uh, this uh, visual where um, you said that, or not, uh, not you, or that it was that chick, that, that chick that you were with, uh, she said, oh, there's a Curtis with all the, either use uh, the incels around him or something, right? So, so w- yeah, when I- she was w- being nice. She was being nice. They're friends. So she was like, she was saying it, like those people who were around, like, she was kind of just joshing. She was like, he's always like with a bunch of boys. Like she actually was being nice. Um, 
I don't, I, yeah, that's funny. It, so, I so I took it as like, you didn't really have to put it in the, but, you did, but it's okay. You know, because I, I, I could, that's me watching the fight. I'm like, yeah. of course he has to, you know, of course he has to throw a little something in there, you know? And even though she was nice or whatever, you know, I, I, I enjoyed that part. I was like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Like, you know, the fight's getting good now. But see, that's the way I took it. You know, I was like, all right, all right, cool. The thing, yeah. I just, I mean, I love a good quote and that was a good quote. I, Amanda, uh, Amanda is very savvy and very she's very aware of what a good quote is um and she was kind of like working with that um i mean she's john millius's daughter she grew up in public you know what i mean and like people who grew up in public like they 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 know the game um and so like uh and, you know what and i only brought that up and i'm sorry to interrupt here i only brought that up because it was going to be that uh to bring up a little bit of what i've kind of been seeing in 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 this scene, you know, or, you know, and I'm saying scene and it all ties a lot of this stuff up together, especially since you talked about the, the metal bands and, you know, I used to play in a band, right? So when, when, when I, when I saw that, when I visualized that scene of Curtis with, with the incels, to me, it was like a, a lead singer or something with all of the, I wouldn't say, you know, you don't, you don't say groupies, but just the, the vatos that like the music, like, Hey, you know, you know, they're just asking, you know, just hanging out. Like, Hey, that's the lead singer of the, of the, of the, of, of the, of the new local band or not new, yeah. or maybe the underground. Right. So yeah. uh, to me, every time that I've kind of heard like uh, the, in this scene, it just feels like um, there's a battle between the mainstream music and, and like what you would consider underground, you know, uh, uh, I always liked the, the, the mainstream music, but then I got into like I played in a metal band, right? So so um, I liked and enjoyed. I, I can always fuck with both sides. I always and listening to you too, man. I kind of feel like there's some similarities between the way that we kind of vibe in in, in these worlds, you know. And um, and well, let and, me tell you, actually, sorry to cut you go off. For it, man. No, go for it, man. Go for it. I had a very like lead singer music kind of experience with Blake Masters. We were in a coffee shop in Tucson, and he was wearing a Vote Blake Masters shirt. And young guy comes up and I could not figure out whether this guy was going to shoot him or like ask for his autograph. I was like, and Blake couldn't either. And the dude came up and he just looked at him and he was like this. And he was like, I just wanted to ask if you worked for Blake Masters, but now I see that you are Blake Masters. And then he got like nervous and walked away and he was a fan, but me and Blake were both like, this dude is about to shoot us. And it was a weird, like, I don't know how to put it. It was like a kid seeing his indie hero, like in person, like, cause it was like this kind of like weird. It was like a nineties style coffee shop, you know, like they probably, like they still have them in Tucson and, and probably San Antonio, like less so than they do like in LA, like they're gone now, but it was like that kind of place where people hang out all day and like read books and like, you know, like go smoke rolled cigarettes outside, like that kind of thing. And so it was like such a setting where you would see like the lead singer of an indie band. And I just was thinking like, wow, this is like that vibe, um, except yes. by a billionaire funded Senate candidate. So what is going on? Like, it was a very weird thing. Um, yes. But- so, yeah, so, we, so you brought up uh, Peter Thiel, the, the billionaire, but also like, yes, man, that that is the vibe that that is the vein of the vibe that I'm that I'm catching with within this scene you know in in, in this scene that that, that, that that but i like it because it's like so um i think in the article you had brought up to the 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 time that uh, Cur- uh curtis and tucker had an interview uh, they had an interview um and and i remember you know what what i was watching right there was like two pace setters 
interacting. And what I took from that interview, even though there was a lot, it was very substantive and heavy. What I took was that the mainstream band was really liking what the, the underground band was doing. And he, yeah. he's heard it before, but just not that way. And it was kind of a cool, so I, I, I have funneled it into that type of, uh, I, I, uh, I, I guess I've uh, put it in that way. I mean, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but you're kind of kind of bringing up a little bit of that. No, but no, you're right. I mean, like, it's like, I mean, for the Texas listeners, uh, I mean, Curtis is Cody Jenks and, and, and Tucker is George Strait, you know, and like, you're seeing the meeting of the minds, right? And like, it's that kind of, I mean, I like country, so that's where I'm going with it. But um, like, yeah, it's that. And like, it's the, I mean, I think probably to some degree, my piece, and people can take this, people have criticized me for this. Um, uh, I won't say what Curtis has said about it, but my piece to some degree was like, it was like Rolling Stone going for the Cody Jenks figure. Like you're like going to the guy who's like the underground king and kind of elevating him into the mainstream. And that happens. Mm. It happened with bands like, I don't know, I'm not like a huge like indie music guy, but like like now Neutral Milk Hotel will like headline a festival, you know, whereas like a few years ago, it was like, that was like the indie whatever, right? Um, and I think Curtis is having his emergence into the mainstream. I think it would have happened without me. Um, I don't know if people would understand him as much if it wasn't for me. Uh, so I tend to think, again, even speaking to people on the left, like, seems like it's beneficial for y'all, like, that I'm here describing it so you know what's going on. So like, you know what's Dreher, up, right? Like, literally, like, right before I got on this recording, I was, Rod Dreher was talking about wanting a king, like, on Twitter, publicly. Well, why is that? What, where's that coming from? If you don't even know what's going on, then... Again, like all the all the reporting in the world that just says that these people are evil, like you're just you're not even going to get anywhere. Your your analyses of these things are not going to be sophisticated enough to even stop them if you want to stop them. Right. So, again, I'm not a political actor. Um, I'm describing. And I just think I think we've turned a corner. I hope we've turned a corner um, where actually that's coming back. I think that's going to come back to reporting. I think that people are realizing that, like. I mean, people saw, you saw CNN plus, you saw these, these platforms, they're just, they're struggling without Trump and they've got to find a new way. And I, I think the kind of keeping everybody, and again, the, the Fox does this, Tucker does this too. He, and I'm criticizing him as much as them when I say this, but people just are tired out by being whipped up all the time. That's what people, you just get whipped up into a frenzy of fear and like anger and like just hating the other side. Because of the clicks, right? Because of the clicks. The clicks, yeah, and like, and because of ratings, cable, t it's cable TV too. Yeah, well, yeah, the same thing. Yeah, like clicks, ratings, whatever you know. The yeah, yeah. Oh. And I just think people are fucking exhausted. People are absolutely fucking exhausted, and that's the like the current thing discourse or whatever. What you see on Twitter, like, like you get you. There's this certain kind of person who like it's not that many people, and they're way overrepresented on Twitter. They're way overrepresented on Twitter, who are just capable of being whipped up about whatever, whether it's COVID, Ukraine, Trump, whatever, um, and shit on the right too, like trans stuff, BLM, like, a, I mean, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but a relatively minor increase in crime that you would think libertarians, like you've gained so fucking much Cops are so much better behaved. Like in my county, it used to be like, come on vacation, leave on probation. They were, it was the fucking, I was talking to this guy last night. He was like, it was like a Rambo movie up here. Cops would fucking take you down for anything. Like they would, 
they would lock you up for DUI first and ask questions later. You know, you can't get a blood test, nothing. Like they were, it was fucking war. That's gone in California. And the price has been a very minor uptick in crime. And right-wingers in this county are fucking out of their mind about it because they've been whipped up by Fox News. So it's both sides, right? But the trick for me is like, again, like coloring individual humans as three-dimensional works really well still like and it works and i think podcasts have helped to point the way for that where you like it's different a magazine story a newspaper article about a guy like versus like you listen to him talk for 35 minutes you're gonna get a much richer weirder picture and that's why nobody ever gets canceled off a podcast you know you notice that like never nobody ever gets canceled off a podcast because if you spend an hour listening to somebody talk Mm. shit gets a little muddier shit gets a little weirder right and i try to recreate that in my writing like that kind of like uncomfortable middle weirdness ground that all humans have is a cloud around them they're not one thing um and that that's i i hope that can still work you just have to fight for it a little bit um it is funny that i was going to be promoting um this week a podcast that my homies just started uh, it's called Dudes Talk Rock Podcast with uh, my uh, homie Greg and Wade here in San- from San Antonio. And uh, the, the, sh- the podcast is meant to be a conversation to have with bands about the music scene, especially here locally. If you guys don't know, maybe some of you do. Uh, back in the day, my friend uh, Greg and I, one of the, the co-hosts of the, of the podcast, uh, Dudes Talk Rock, we had a little metal club here. It was called The Metal Room. And it was straight up uh, DIY style um, uh, shows. We had all kinds of bands run through there. Uh, I can't even like, uh, I don't know if you guys might know some of this stuff. Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, eight, uh, 18 Vision. I, I, I don't know. There was chingles of bands up that were there. But anyway, so we get into that type of conversation. Uh, I was recently on, I believe the episode uh, drops this week. So I'll put a link for it uh, here at the show notes. Um, regardless, I'll put a link to their podcast. It's called Dudes Talk Rock. They're on all uh, platforms. So please uh, check them out. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's all in good fun. So when I was there, it was uh, having some brews, talking some, uh, some rock and metal, but also a little bit of, uh, of how I transitioned from being in a band and all that into um be more of a business person so it was all good conversation uh go check out dudes talk rock podcast peace yeah and um yeah so again the it, it's it's a it's a fighting spirit that 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 has to 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 be alive you know to to create that and that's interesting man that that people from both sides was that interesting actually you know what that's the way it should be that you had that you had tucker or the or or, or chris hayes you know, send you a message and you know what, man, uh, you know, uh, 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 I respect that a lot, man, because I, like I said, uh, I feel that I'm in that little weird world where, you know, I've been talking shit for a long time. Uh, the way that I got into this game a little bit, uh, just to, just to kind of give you a little background on, on some of my stuff was that I was, uh, so Peter Thiel, right. The way, the way that I first heard of him was that he was the Ron Paul billionaire in 2012 that, Oh, he was the guy that was going to, you know, help Ron Paul, you know, go over the top. But um, yeah, in the Ron Paul 2012 run, I used to uh, be active, like uh, politically, you know, holding signs. I was the Ron Paul guy holding signs without a bunch of people. But and then I was like, wait a minute, 
uh, I looked up the stats for like t- uh, local talk radio. And then I was like, oh, you know, they reach 400,000 people in South Texas or whatever the station. So then I just started like, well, you know what? It's more efficient of my time to just call into talk radio and just start asking questions that were going to be not not so pro Ron Paul that they would they wouldn't let me on strategically liberty stuff that would they would get me on. So I just started they started letting me on like I would just call in every day until this uh, one of these guys, you know, uh, his name is Jack Riccardi. He's a local uh, guy for 550 uh, KTSA here. Yeah. He goes, hey, man, we have a weekly panel of, on Fridays. Um, do you want to come in and uh, talk to uh, and hang out at the weekly panel? And I was like, sure. You know, I mean, so I was hanging out with like the local D.A., the 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 like Congress people, like all these people. Right. But I'm just like this, this vato, right. This regular West Side yeah. vato, you know. And uh, but even back then, because I, I, I've been talking the same shit for a long time, I would talk about uh, uh, te- uh, Texas secession. And I was saying even back then for a long time, I was saying, well, you know, really, all I want is uh, Texas to win a World Cup. And, you know, that's really my, my main agenda, because, uh, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm a Texas nationalist. Uh, and, 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 and with that weight that that carries when you hear that. Uh, I really just want Texas to win a World Cup. Like, uh, I'd rather just party in Texas. Yeah than to celebrate it with people, you know, I got no beef from people from Ohio or, Kentucky, yeah. you know, or New York. I just, I think Texas produces enough athletes that we can be competitive for a world cup. And I mean, if Texas definitely, definitely if Texas is seceded or whatever, I mean, you don't even have to secede, right? Scotland, Scotland, Wales, um, and Northern Ireland have their own independent, you know, football federation. Oh, they do. Yeah. But yeah, they're yeah. part of, but they're part of, uh, yeah, you can have that. If Catalonia, if Catalonia or Quebec wanted to have their own national football federation, they could do that. They, that's FIFA, allowed FIFA will let them. FIFA will. FIFA. So okay. yeah, because I know I remember. So I, I'm a Barcelona fan, and the reason I became a Barcelona fan early was because of right. the of, of the nationalistic side of it, and 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 um, right. and I know that they've uh, the uh, Catalonia has had uh, national team scrimmages. They never played officially a FIFA World Cup, but they'll they'll host other national teams you know oh man i didn't know that man that's good to know that okay well, well, that's why so I was so sad. yeah that's why i was so sad when spain won because um when spain won what was it 2010 yes because um, it was like it was a whole thing it was like it was a victory it was a victory for the central government essentially it was like look because it you know most of that team was barcelona right um and uh most of those people were catalan like carlos carlos Puyol. Yeah. who scored the goal. He was Catalan, right? Um, so it was very much like, look, look, we're not going to have a secession. This is bringing Spain back together. Um, and again, like I'm from the left, but I'm like pro-Basque, pro-Catalan. Like, I mean, I've always been, and anybody with an Irish background, I mean, like Basque, Catalan flags are always flying everywhere in Northern Ireland. Any, any, it's ironic, the left wing, te- the left wing side in Northern Ireland is the nationalists. Uh it's just different than here um but in nationalist areas they don't fly irish tricolors they fly palestinian flags basque flags catalan flags scottish flags sometimes do, uh, do they do uh, they do palestine flags too right is, is, is that yeah, them or no? is the most, that's the most common that's the biggest one um and then the the unionists oh dude like it's so crazy i don't know this stuff but it's interesting stuff I've literally said, so you go to like the unionist halls and it's like, this, this is where right-wingers fucking lose me personally. Cause like, I just don't get off on this shit. Like, I, okay. but they're like really into like power. They're into really like power tradition. Like, so they'll have like Rhodesia, they'll have flags like in their halls of like, like apartheid South Africa, um, like 
white ruled Rhodesia, Confederate flags, Israeli flags, swastikas. And you'll sometimes see like a swastika and an Israeli flag, like on the same fucking like pole. Like, and you're like, what? But like, they represent like power, control, like the, the shit that the unionists like. Um, how do we get talking about this? Oh, soccer. Um, well, I was giving a little background into that, yeah. that, 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 that the, the right or like, if somebody was to like, I'm not saying profile me or something like they wouldn't even, they, they would just think that, well, am I a righty? No, I, uh, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I'm like, uh, I fuck with anybody, man, but I just want the, I, I just want a world cup right. victory, man. That's it. Man. Ain't no big deal. You know, some people want monarchy. Right. Some people want different things. Some people want so, uh, socialism, like, Okay, well that's fine, man. Like, but like, uh, I just want you know, can we just win a World Cup, please? You know that that's that's all I want. But you know, I, I was just bringing that up. But yeah, but yes, and then uh, I bring in football into the podcast and boxing because I feel like that the, uh, they're they're connected to something in on the streets that can speak to whatever agenda you want you might want to get into. And you know, I, I have my own, but but you know, you, you said that you uh, do like uh, M. Uh, uh, like uh, mixed martial or not, well, uh, 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 jiu-jitsu right and yeah I'm, I'm too like um i i don't like to punch people in the face i mean i will but i'm not like i the boxing thing i'd rather do jiu-jitsu just like for my own like i'm too hard on myself already so if i boxed like i feel like i'd have parkinson's in a week like i feel like i don't treat myself well um but i do i do brazilian jiu-jitsu pretty seriously um uh i trained so your Texas, Texas boys are going to know this stuff. Like I trained at Marcelo Garcia's, um, on 26th street in New York, two blocks up John Danaher, Henzo Gracie. So that's like the, that's like the fight gym where like George St. Pierre trained. Um, mm. that's where Ryan was. Uh, he just moved to Austin. So Austin is becoming like the new like jujitsu place. Um, mm. but back in the day, the two best, the two best grappling gyms in the world you know like we would have damian maya come in ronda rousey stuff like that and then they had their people their death squad of grapplers but also like a lot a lot of high level fighters um i'm trying to think george say whatever fight guys know all this stuff um but there was beef between the two gyms like really really intense beef between the two gyms uh between the young guys and basically like i hate to say it but their guys were better than ours like not like at an ultra, ultra, ultra elite level. Like these guys are incredible. We're talking the margins between silver and gold, but they were there. Like they were, they were doing stuff that we weren't doing. They were steps ahead of us. Um, and so that was interesting. I'm not that good. So like, I'm like middling at jujitsu. Like I'm the best guy at the gym here. You know what I mean? But there's not that many guys. This isn't a jujitsu center. If I went back to somebody else, but so I bring this up because actually this kind of like, I tried to write a piece about jujitsu for a liberal magazine and I actually think it would have worked, but this was like two years ago before I had kind of figured out like, Hey, you can actually say more than you think you can say, you can actually get away with more than you think you can get away with. And I was just so nervous about getting sort of like tarred about like toxic masculinity and stuff that I was, I just like couldn't do it. And I couldn't really talk about this stuff. And I bring that up just because like now I think you can't, I think things have changed. I think like there was a period for people who like weren't ever in New York or LA or like in media and like, don't know this stuff. There was a period where like, actually just like being like, I'm into jujitsu and guns or something was enough to just be like, okay, like 
just sit out for the next couple of years. Like, just don't do anything for the next couple of years because we don't want you around. That was real. That was real. And it wasn't ever spoken. And even if you did speak about it, like even that was a little suspect. Like even that, like kind of, if you like mentioned it, that was already like, maybe that guy is like doing a little thought crime. Um, but like, say what? Say what? Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? Thought? Cr- what? What? Do you, say what? Uh, like, so, so there's people that thought that if you, oh, say it, man. Sorry, man. I, I, how? So, what did they think? So, like, let me put it this way, like, there was a period where, like, if you said the term cancel culture in some of these circles, like, even that was enough to be like that guy's bad. Cause you weren't even really supposed to say that cancel culture like existed. Mm. You weren't supposed to talk about it. Like, and uh, like, I have my own thoughts about that. I'm not, I'm not one of these, I'm not one of these guys who's like banging on about cancel culture all the time, but the idea that there wasn't some restrictive force around you at all times, determining what you could say is absolute bullshit. And like anybody who pretended that is an absolute fucking liar. Just definitely. That's true. And so I'm saying all this because like, I do think there was a period and I think conservatives are right to point this out a lot that like there was a period where like you people were cowering in fear, like in these circles and they didn't want to talk about it. And they didn't, if, even if you did talk about it, like that in itself was enough to kind of get you kicked out of the circles. Mm. Um, That was real. That was totally real. And anybody who pretends that it wasn't is out of their minds or lying. (laughs) Um, That said, I personally tend to think we kind of, we kind of went, we went over that bridge in COVID, like the COVID stuff. And I'm not wading into this. I don't even want to use the word. I'll say it like good old boys, the bat flu stuff, whatever you think of it, the conversation around it got so removed from any kind of like normal human conversation that a ton of people like learned like, oh, you can do a little thought crime and you're okay. Right. And so you saw a lot, I won't name them, but like a lot of elite like journalists at like the New Yorker and stuff like that. School shutdowns were the first thing. So they, they, and they started, you, you saw them, they would never say like reopen schools, but they would retweet stuff where you were like, oh, you're not down with New York City schools being shut down. And you could see the cracks. You could see the cracks in like before you couldn't really deviate in any way from the current thing. And then you could. And then you even maybe like started to get rewarded about it. So like, I'm trying to think of a good example. So you're speak, you're, so a little bit you're speaking of the cathedral uh, as a, as a backdrop. But so who gives out the rewards? It's still the consumer because so so the consumer pushes the pace to 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 get to reward them to get out of the cathedral uh, out of that. Uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to ask a little bit, like uh, or, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised how little power consumers have in all this. Okay. Uh, honest um i mean i say that i say that in with regard to my own work like like the stuff that gets people going the stuff that gets people going in terms of getting rewards is still always going to be like shit that goes mega viral and like i can't i know how to do actually i do know how to do this i know i've been in this business long enough i can figure out i knew that this the new right piece was going to go viral i I, I didn't have any doubt about that Mm. Um, but there's only so many times where I can do something where I'm, I feel like I'm being honest, fair, clear, um, speaking through my own voice, that kind of stuff, and have it go viral. Those are magical, rare opportunities that I've only had a couple times in my entire career. The rest of the time, like, 
I'm doing stuff where I'm sacrificing a lot because I'm like writing it for Harper's. Most people are reading it in print. It goes into a dead zone comparatively compared to the guys at Buzzfeed compared to the guys, even, you know, even on Fox, like doing Fox documentaries, or whatever, you're going to blow it up. You're gonna get millions of views shit where you get to do really, really good work. And it goes viral is it could be once every five years, you know, in my personal experience. Um, and the reason for that is that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate, yeah. right? Isn't that kind of yeah. like that? That sounds sad, man. That's not that sucks. Yeah. Um, but that's I mean that's that's been true. That was always true in media. I would argue, like you could make. I mean, you could just make more money doing Law and Order than you could by being Martin Scorsese, unless you get these once in a little chances to really establish a name for yourself doing one really specific, honest, good piece of art that, that then will cross over to the mass mainstream. So maybe I'll get there now or something, and maybe other people will. Uh, but the reason I say like where the rewards are coming from is like the reward, the people who give you the rewards are very high up. And they have the ability on some level, not to control whether something goes mega viral exactly, but they have the ability to position it that way. They have the ability like, like so my piece was assigned at 4,000 words. I turned it in at 14,000 words. Already there's a decision there. Because so, there are certain editors in New York who would have looked at that and been like, I'm killing this piece right here. And I was like, no, I think this is worth it. And I want you to see it at length and see how this could go. And then there was a concerted decision. And again, like people should note this, if they think that the cathedral is out there getting them, like in this, like these people read it and they were like, hey, actually you're right. Let's do this at length. Let's have it be how you did it. Um, and according to the cathedral thesis, that shouldn't have happened, right? So um that's kind of this has been like a long block of text that i'm giving you here that's basically like there are humans still like there, it looks like a vast insane machine but it's actually staffed by humans and it's actually staffed by persuadable honest people who are generally operating in good faith it's like how it's the question is how the cogs fit together and what the cogs are create what incentives are created for people to pave certain ways like really high level kind of ways that are causing people to not necessarily even notice what the incentive structures around them are and how they're being pushed and manipulated in various ways. Uh, but in 2018, those systems were much more powerful than they are today, I would argue, because people just didn't know they were around. Now, I think journalists like are like, okay, hold on. Like, hold on, this is, I'm, I'm a person too, man. Like, I'm not going to just do the thing that got memed into existence is what journalists do. I think, I think that's going to start to change. Um, and I would argue that it actually internally Hardy has changed. I think people, people get it. Um, and I encourage people on the right or whatever, even just disaffected, like disaffected Rogan bros who just like hate the fucking media, like whatever it is, like, remember that part remember that they are like they are humans and like if they can be woken up to their incentive structures they're not going to become conservatives they're not going to be on your team but they are going to change how they behave and they're and i think a lot of people already have um and i don't think that the right has given a lot of journalists enough credit for how much they actually are thinking through this stuff 
Um, that's yeah. my little there. Yeah, no, no, I hear you, man. Uh, one of the uh, and one of the reasons why I like Bill Maher and really I got into politics through Bill Maher. So, you know, we're poor. And then one day we had HBO. There was this political show and I was like, hey, this seems fair. Whatever he's saying seems kind of fair. You know, uh, I would have been a, a Democrat, more lefty because my parents or whatever, you know, but in San Antonio, of course, you're, you know, but but, you know, so he, he's always been a pace setter for kind of like uh, that side. And I kind of respected that he didn't like, you know, he I, I respect that he, he lives almost like uh, he has his own little realm. Right. Or like uh, we would say, like he's his own little king there, a little sovereign uh, er, uh, area. and. Um, but, you know, uh, I know we're getting close to uh, uh, finishing up here to respect a little bit of time. I did want to, and I, I don't know why, I, I brought, that's a little side note, but no, 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 actually, I, it, it's that. in the same vein that I respect you, man. And, and I hope that you keep, I hope that it doesn't take five years to get another one. And, and I and I hope that uh, you keep doing more of these, you, you, you know, um, but go, well, go ahead, man. Sorry. Yeah, let me just speak to that, actually, though, because like, what's weird, what you said something that, that I think about a lot. It used to be that writers, like when, when you had a writer, and this has changed. When you had a writer, like each writer, like I remember, um, not Sapphire, um, William F. Buckley, William F. Buckley interviewing Norman Mailer. And he said uh, on Firing Line, which you should go back and watch that old, it's the best TV ever. It's fucking amazing. It's so good. Um, but William F. Buckley says, he says something to Mailer where he goes, describe to me your religion. Um, and Mailer goes, you mean the Jewish religion? And then he goes, no, of course, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. And what he means is that Mailer, as a, as a writer, had a, a comprehensive worldview that Mailer would often describe himself as a left conservative, which parse that however you want. Um, but there was a Mailer worldview. It wasn't like Mailer was on a team and then did the, his best to like advance the interests of his team according to the bullet points that the team put forward. Mailer was Mailer. Buckley was Buckley, right? And now increasingly what we have on both the right and the left is our more prominent media figures do not actually evince individual worldviews. They, indiv they evince worldviews that are sort of set down in bullet points that then they go into knife fights to argue for, right? And that is incredibly destructive, I think, for our politics, but it's also just bad art. It's bad art, bad writing, bad literature, bad podcasting. Anything like that is just boring. And that's why people fucking like Tucker. I don't, everybody quote me and say that I came on a podcast and said Tucker rules. That's not what I'm saying. But like people like Tucker because Tucker does Tucker, right? When you watch Hannity, it's almost like he just was handed something from Trump directly. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. all right, Trump. And then Tucker's out here talking about fucking UFOs. People love that shit. Um, and that's why Tucker is the most popular TV host amongst Democrats under 34, which is like, again, shouldn't happen. Mm. Um, and so, again, I'm just saying, like, I think the incentive structure is pretty obvious that, like, actually, you can just do better writing again, whether you're fucking right or left, if you're not just doing the bullet points of your fucking team. Um, and there's a lot of headway to make there. And I hope that people run with that. Um, I don't know if they will, but. You just yeah, so, so, like, I, yeah, so, like, uh, yeah, so, yeah, Tucker Carlson, uh, he, he spoke at the, First, uh, Ron Paul counter convention. He was the, the the opening speaker, and uh, you know, so so Tucker's in the Ron Paul mix. A lot of a, a lot of the libertarian stuff is definitely Ron Paul mix, and uh, and uh, you know, anyway, I, I just say that to say that it's good to have a guy that, uh, uh, as 
principled or as a family man as Ron Paul to be kind of like the godfather of a lot of stuff like that. But um, so uh, uh, before before we kind of go, I did want to talk about uh, J.D. Vance because you know, you kind of uh, said that, you know, is, is he going to be the new guy, uh, the guy that's going to come up? Uh, is, is he is he sanctioned by the, the elites coming from a um, uh, the Ivy League? Uh, you know, uh, you wrote a piece for him and uh, you wrote a piece about him and then kind of a piece here. You kind of lightly said a little bit like, well, I don't want to do another one. I don't want to be his storyteller. Um, you know, um, you know. So I understand that, but also, um, the, I guess the question is like, what is your take on his, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess his projection of where he's going? Because uh, I don't like his style, but I get that it wins, right? So he had a commercial, right, where he or uh, an ad where he says he starts off by saying, "Are you racist? You racist? Yeah. Do you hate Mexicans?" And I was like, oh, this fucking vato. I know exactly what you're fucking doing, but I respect right. it. I respect. So it's kind of like, I res- you know, I respect it. But, you know, uh, right. I don't know. What is your take? So or also like you now you're kind of now I'm talking in the mindset of of uh, uh, my of La Raza here. Like, so I don't know. Give, give a give a, a a heads up to J.D. Vance. You know, is this is this the, is this a guy that is is coming up, you know, or, or, or what? Or, or, or you know, because. He's an interesting, an interesting guy, you know? Yeah, he's, he's definitely interesting. Um, I mean, and he's not what he's like. He's just different in person than he is in public. And, like, I've said that a lot. Um, and he's, he's much more, like, like, he's much more compelling. Like, I don't, I don't, maybe he'll learn this, but he, he's, he's much more compelling, like, working a room than he is giving a speech. Excuse me. Um, and that's something I think for people to keep in mind because a lot of politics actually is working the room. Like the speech stuff. I mean, Ohio is a small place. You don't have to be, you don't have to be Barack Obama or Ronald Reagan to win the Senate seat in Ohio. You have to be able to go to a small place and talk to people. Um, And I think JD can do that. Uh, As far as coming up, I mean, I don't, I think it's going to be harder for him to win that seat than a lot of people think. Like, I think he's going to have a real race um, on his hands. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he won the primary. Mm. And so he's just going to be the senator. Um, that said, this of all years is the best year to do it. I mean, you're going to you're going to have huge Republican turnout. Um, getting into the more interesting stuff. Forget that stuff. Uh, so the first time I talked to him, I reread this transcript recently. And there's no way to read what he was saying to me without it being his plan is to be president of the United States. Um, he's like, fuck it. He, he didn't say that, but he said it. He, he said, there's no way to get where I want to go with 52% of the vote. It has to be 60%. I need the, like a real popular mandate. You don't say that about a Senate campaign. You say that about a presidency. Um, and so like, I'll be honest. I w- I'll be dead honest. If like, people who know kind of like Curtis's thing, uh, people who know kind of this new right thing about like, we need somebody in there to really like reshape how power works and bring it into the executive. Yeah. I think that's JD's thing. I think he's, I think he's gunning for that. Um, And like, he was asked about some of his comments in my piece where he talked about dismantling, firing every federal bureaucrat. They call it rage, right? Rage, rage or whatever. Rage. 
and he, like JD was asked about that by NBC News the night of his Senate primary, and he did not disavow those comments like at all. Like he was like the president needs that prerogative. So that's where it's. Go- I mean, that's this is the plan. This is the plan. That's not a controversial. That's not an attack. That's just that's just the truth. Um, as far as I see it. Um, so okay that's but, but being latino in your piece you know i also you know my antenna goes up when i hear oh mexican fentanyl not just regular fentanyl you know uh mexican right. fentanyl you know so that to me well, is so like ah oh, come on vato. i'm like come on vato. i mean does he distinguish when you know anyway i, I can go i can get anyway but you know I, what i'm saying is he doesn't well, he might he not does, distinguish when the landscaper of- is anyway banging the wife right he didn't say yeah, oh it's no, the- no, no. I'm, listen, listen, i'll speak to that i will speak to that okay that's where i was going next that's where i was going next so um and i've talked to him about this uh i really 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 wish that i could use this quote because i've talked to him off the record about this but we're from the same place we're white dudes right and he uses phrases like my people or like like us we got to replace we got to replace the federal bureaucrats with our people and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. That hits different to me. Like, I'm like a white dude with a shaved head from Southwestern Ohio. Like, when people start talking about my people, like, I I go straight back to, like, you know, like, sitting around, like, bad, bad boy shit, where you're sitting around drinking the old crow, smoking rolled cigarettes, singing fucking Confederate songs, shit like that, that, that we did just as a thing. Like, that's just what, that's how you, you know, like, that wasn't weird to us. And I'm like he's accessing something tribal when he does that stuff. And I think he knows that. I mean, I've said that to him. Um, And he, I mean, you know, his wife isn't white. Like his kids aren't white. Like, so I think he would say, you know, like, look, like this is like, I'm self-evidently not like what you, you, all you liberals say that I am. I'm self-evidently not doing like Mm. a white national thing, but he plays with it. He plays with a tribal thing as a way of, kind of bringing people along and i personally feel like i notice that in ways that other people don't just because like i'm from that fucking headspace to some degree right um is that me like so the mexican stuff like the mexican stuff like it hits like it works i think like i think it really does actually like get people going yeah i mean trump trump you know it helped trump a lot you know i mean you know i mean you know i I remember you know because it's like I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I have friends. Actually, like the first trucker I ever like hitchhiked with um, was from down the valley. You know, like assuredly, that guy fucking voted for Trump for sure, for sure, and like probably would like JD Vance. Um, so it's a weird kind of political mix. Like a lot of Hispanics are really into JD Vance, um, and so like they're writing that stuff off in a way that you're not. I'm not. I don't really know how to square that. Like, I don't know. No, no. So, so as long as he wants, so the, as, so this is part of the, I had this one year conversation with all these people that came over to my house and yeah. yeah. So they're saying like, as, as Hispanics or Latinos start making more money, you know, they're not going to care about your racism. They just want to keep more of their own money. So as they start going up in, in, in class or money, you know, well then, you know, so it's still about what do they say? Like all the issues are like, uh, 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 your wallet issues or pocket issues, right? About whatever's in your, in, in, so, you know, I get it. It's just that um, 
not everybody uh, knows that. So yeah, it, it, I feel like when you play that game, it's a little dirty, but it's, you can win it. So you can win with it, you know? Uh, and, you know, I just, you know, I don't hate the player, uh, hate the game kind of thing, but you know, when he's, when, when, when he brings that up or that commercial, see, uh, I didn't see that commercial until, uh, uh, I heard your interview with, uh, I think your homies at the uh, vanity fair. It was a, it was a, I'm sorry. I don't know their names. It was a lady yeah. and a guy. It was, a, but he had said, yeah. is he kind of a phony? He had to grow a beard, right? He had to grow a beard and, and, and you kind of were like, no, 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 he's not. So I was like, hold on, let me go see this about the, cause I had, I, at that point I had not even seen his face. I just knew he was a, he was a dude that, you know, and I was like, oh, come on now. But I don't know. Did he grow the beard for that? I don't know. I mean, I mean, but does, does it make him no. look not like a yeah. baby face? I mean, it helps to not look like a baby face. If, if you're being that strategic, then obviously he let, and it doesn't mean that it's phony. It just means, okay. So when I saw it, I was like, all right, you know, this dude really wants to fucking win. You know, this dude ain't playing around. He wants to win, you know? Uh, so, I, I, you know. Yeah, he lost a lot of weight too, um, you know, and, but uh, I mean, this is the great question. I mean, this is the great question about the new right. And like, I think there are, the answers are different for different people. Mm. Like there are fucking people in that ferment that you and I probably both know who actually do really pine for a white Christian America. Like that's fucking just true. That's just dead ass true. And if anybody, like I said, it's, it's like people on the left to like deny cancel culture. It's like if people on the right are sitting here, like not even admitting that there are a lot of people who actually really do want a white Christian America then what like why am i even talking to you why am i even talking to you if you're just going to deny that totally like what is going on so i like to me i i find that stupid um but the thing is that there are different answers to that question it's like it's like people on the left like if you say like oh that guy's a leftist so he wants a stalinist dictatorship and he wants to to liquidate the fucking you know the kulaks or whatever like just because some leftists want to liquidate the kulaks and put a bunch of people in camps or whatever historically has happened doesn't mean that you can get tar everybody with that. Like you have to come up. Politics is really not like that. Like and reverting constantly to analogies that date from the fucking Second World War, as we do in our politics now all the time on both sides, is fucking stupid. Um, and so like. The thing that I was going to say is that, like, if you really want to hear JD talking to this at the opening of the Jack Murphy interview, he does. Um, Jack Murphy starts both his interview with with JD and with Blake with the question, who should be allowed to be an American? And you're like, mm, where's this going? Um, and the, the answers are revealing. I, I encourage people to listen. I'm not going to try to recapitulate it because I don't fully remember it. But I remember, I was like, fuck, dude, like, that's your first question to this guy? Like, we're going straight to the bad zone. And I would say that maybe JD would have preferred not to answer that question. I think he almost, like, would have preferred not to have to think about it. Um, so it's an interesting revealing answer, um, and people should check it out. But it's not, he, he does not say it should be a white Christian nation. Uh, he does give some signals that, he also doesn't envision it the way that the liberal diversity paradise. Right. Um, so it's like people can make their own judgment about that, I guess. Yeah. So uh, thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, I, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, 
people might not know this, but we had a little hiccup in the middle there. My power went out and maybe that's why you see that my drink's a little bit more fuller because I had a, had a little chance to reload. I thank you that, I mean, you could have bailed out on me, man. Like, uh, thank you for uh, uh, sticking okay. around and, and, and hanging out. And, and um, I guess to, to, to finalize and, and kind of summarize um, the, you know, the whole vibe of this, of, of the interview here is that, man, people just need to keep it real. Yeah. What is it about people not keeping it real and finding that other ways are either makes them feel, I, I don't know, man, there's something missing. Um, uh, maybe the new right would say, Oh, you, you, you need more God in your, in your life or, or you need, I don't know. I mean, I just think that um, we need to keep it more real. And I guess um, I hope that you um, keep, at least for on this one, you know, you know, I felt you kept it real, and um, uh, 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 I hope that you keep doing the 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 work that that same way, and 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 keep fighting the 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 powers that be. And I don't even know why I fucking said that. See, the powers that be, there is you know, there is powers that be, but like, just I don't know, man. Just just, just keep uh, keep it real, and uh, yeah, feel free to uh, for sure. Um, uh, 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 maybe talk about any new pieces you had mentioned that you would have like a, a like a book or something that you got working or something, uh, and then where people can try to reach you yeah. at or uh, whatever you got coming up. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I appreciate that, man. And I'll just say to the keeping it real, like part of keeping it real, it literally means keeping it real, like getting like like so many people they're fucking they're awake for sixteen hours, and ten of those hours are fucking all spent consuming media. And like, that's just not a recipe for a healthy society or human life. Like you have to do other shit. Like, and people used to spend those 16 hours, just not, you would read for two hours and that was it. And then the rest of the time you were doing something and you were talking to people like that makes such a huge difference. Um, that's something I need to learn from too. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, I'm up here, rural California. I'm working on a book about the state of Jefferson uh, which is kind of separatist, we didn't talk about this, but separatist region of California. Um, I have a piece out, uh, it was in the April issue of Harper's, but you can find it online, um, that is all about that. Uh, and um, I'm going to work fire, uh, part, I mean, part of book research, but partly just because I've always wanted to work fire. Um, so I just was finishing up last night, um, uh, meeting with an engine boss, I'm going to be on an engine, um, doing wildfire stuff this summer for at least a bit. Um, so I'll be doing some reporting on that. Um, I'm big into forestry, et cetera. Uh, so that's basically look for that. Um, look eventually for that jujitsu essay. Uh, and then probably book essays coming out soon pegged to this. So buy it, please. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, once again, thank you for coming on. And I hope that, uh, anytime you have, uh, these, these pieces, like you've, you know, you, you, you know, I, I'd love to always, you know, have you on, man. I mean, I really felt Man, you know, uh, this was a kind of, you know, because like I said, we had a little hiccup, you know, that could turn people off and and, and I appreciate it. And and then uh, it just off this conversation felt, uh, you know, real to me. So thank you again and uh, uh, catch you the next one, man. Peace. Peace. Appreciate it, man.